Please join me now in Luke chapter 18, and let's take on a parable of our Lord that deals with prayer. And this question for you, have you ever quit something only to regret it later? Sometimes quitting things, that's the perfect thing to do. There are things in life we should absolutely quit doing. But sometimes we quit something that, man, I wish I had kept doing that. Maybe for you, it was learning a musical instrument. Maybe your parents made you take piano lessons or guitar lessons years ago. And when it got difficult, you quit. And now as an adult, you look back and think, oh, I wish I had not quit. I'd have this really great skill. And maybe I could even use it like that band up there to the glory of God. Or maybe it was a fitness plan where you thought, I'm gonna, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get myself in shape. In fact, I used to be the king of the one day in a row fitness plan. I would report to Joy, here's the plan, this is what I'm going to do. It was always kind of elaborate. And then I'd do it one day. Then the next day, I'm like, I don't think I want to do that again. And I'd have to pick it up again in a few weeks. But maybe you've been there. I was going to get myself in shape. I had all these plans and then I quit. And you think, wow, had I kept that up? What kind of shape would I be in had I not quit? So it seems like the right thing to do, though, to us as human beings. Things get difficult. We think, I think I'm going to give that up. And it can lead to a lot of regret. Well, Jesus is going to tell us here in this parable that we should never give up in the realm of prayer. And we're going to need this word because we frequently are tempted to give up here. Let's go in together. Our Lord's words, Luke 18. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? I love this. Luke tells us before we even read the parable, what the point of the parable is. Verse one again. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And the context of this parable is Luke 17, where Jesus talked extensively about his second coming. Think of that with me. Jesus in his first coming, on his way to the cross, where he's gonna give his body and blood, he talked a lot about his second coming. In his first coming, Jesus came to save our souls, to reconcile us to the Father. But all along, there's been the plan for the second coming, where Jesus will return and he will rescue us at last from this world. He will reward us. And at the same time, he'll be judging the wicked on the earth. And here's the question. What do we do while we await his glorious return? Particularly, what do we do in this harsh, evil life while we wait on the return of Christ? And we know the answer is we're to be faithful to Christ while we wait. We, Lord willing, will be fruitful for Christ while we wait. 
And right at the center of that is a vital life of prayer. If we are going to remain faithful, if we're going to be fruitful while we wait, a vital life of prayer here. We're going to be praying lots of things. But among them, in a difficult world like this, we're going to be praying a lot. God, help me. God, enable me. Deliver us from evil. Use us for your glory until you come again. So here's a parable where Jesus teaches us to persist in prayer. And he gives us some characters in this parable that he tells. First of all, notably, this widow. Think about with me a first century widow. A first century widow was so vulnerable, defenseless, nobody to stand for her. And here's a widow, Jesus says, who's been treated unjustly. She has an adversary. Somebody's trying to oppress this widow. And so she goes before one that Jesus describes in this parable as an unrighteous judge. Our minds go here to a Gentile, a secular judge who, as we're told here by Jesus, this judge did not fear God, neither did he respect people. And yet this widow in the parable has no other recourse. If I'm going to get justice, I have to go to this unkind unrighteous judge to get some relief from the one oppressing me and the judge not helping. He's not doing the right thing. And yet we're told eventually this judge does what he should have done all along because she wearied him by continually coming. Lest she beat me down, he says, I will at last do what I should have done. Now let's talk about what this does not mean. Jesus is not teaching, but that's how God is. God is reluctant to help you. And if you pester him enough, he'll finally give you what you want, though he doesn't really want to. That's not our God. That's not the point of this. Here's the point of this. As Jesus tells it, if even an unrighteous judge would help somebody, how much more so would our good and just God help his children when they continually come to him? See it again, verse one. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So application for ourselves today. First point of application, be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. You ought always to pray. Ought means it's necessary. It's essential. It's what you should do. Prayer is to be a vital part of your life. Recently, I watched a short documentary featuring some of our Green Berets in Afghanistan around the year 2015. So many things about that short documentary were inspiring to me. But one of the things I noted as they were in a very remote part of Afghanistan on a mission, how they stayed in constant communication with leadership at a base somewhere else. That it was a part, a part of it to know what to do as things are dynamic in a situation like that, to get guidance about what do we do now that this happened. Also a medical evacuation for one of the soldiers who was wounded in that mission. But you see the role of communication. And you and I are in a spiritual war. We know that. Life is not easy. Many adversaries seem to be increasing. And we have a lifeline of communication to our God who is aware. And we're on this mission for him. We need to stay in continual communication. Constant in prayer to him. I'm a dad of three daughters, and as each of my daughters began to drive, sometimes they'd be somewhere in the evening, and it would get dark, and sometimes I'd get that phone call. Hey, Dad, can you stay on the line with me while I walk to the car? Just stay on with me till I get to the car. I'm feeling kind of nervous here. This looks a little sketchy here, whatever version of it was. Would you stay on the phone with me? Happy to do that as a dad. And you and I need to be that way with our Father in heaven. Hey, it's sketchy here. 
We have an enemy, Satan, that's always on the prowl. God, I want to stay on the line with you. I need you with me 100% of the time. I need to know that you're watching over me. Let's talk, let's talk while I walk through this life. And so Jesus tells us we always ought to pray. But does that word always describe your prayer life? Could you say, yeah, that's, that's a good descriptor. I'm constant in prayer. Or would you have to choose a different word to describe the reality of your prayer life? Would you have to say, no, no, I think always doesn't fit, rarely fits. Or maybe occasionally fits. Maybe say, no, barely might fit. Or somebody might say, no, sometimes it's good. And so sporadic might be the word that you might choose for your prayer life. But Jesus calls us here to a continual communion with the Lord. We're to experience life in an ongoing conversation with him. In fact, I bet that's not new information for most of you. I know that. And yet we struggle. Why is it that we struggle with this wonderful privilege of prayer? But I want you to know there are some common struggles. One of those common struggles for us in prayer is this, our distracted minds, our distracted minds. Warren Wearsby said this, he said, the ability to calm your soul and wait before God is one of the most difficult things in the Christian life. Our old nature is restless. The world around us is frantically in a hurry, but a restless heart usually leads to a reckless life. So we're distracted. Our minds wander. You ever had that experience in prayer where you begin to pray? Motives are great and you just get started. And no sooner have you started, your mind is off of what you're doing. Happens to all of us. Some days worse than other days. And so we have to strategize if we're going to do what the Lord says to enjoy this vital relationship with God. Got to find some ways to combat our distracted minds. And I'll just offer again what's been helpful to me for the past five years. And so I've tried a lot of things through the years and I'm never going to give up on prayer. But one thing that's really helped me is to use um, a photo album on my phone that's also synced to my iPad where I just have pulled in screenshots of various scriptures that I put in there, uh, photos of my family members. So I'm praying for them. My mind can stay focused. Uh, our church staff, the missionaries from our church. One of the things that I never want to see our missionaries and act like or, or feel like I forgot to pray for them. So I see them every day in my prayer list because I use this photo album, the screenshots in there. I have other things written down that I've screenshotted in there. I have a picture of the White House in my photo album prayer list so that, that I won't forget to pray for those in authority. You ever heard a sermon on that before? Pray for those, those kings and those in authority. And you go, oh yeah, I haven't been doing that. Bible so clear. So I thought, I'm tired of saying, oh yeah, I haven't been doing that. So I put that in there. Our state capitol, even our Henrico County building, just a reminder to pray for them. Photos of uh, some of the persecuted church, maps of different countries. All that to say, something just keeps my mind on the things that I know I want to consistently pray about. Some people use prayer apps. There are many weird ones out there. Be careful. But there's a good one somebody recommended called Prayer Mate. And so if that would help be helpful to you, other people don't need the technology, just a prayer journal, a list in there, ways to write things out, whatever's helpful. We're just talking about, we're so common. We have this common struggle of a distracted mind. Find, find a way to harness your mind toward prayer. Here's another struggle along the same lines. We can be distracted by activity, even good activity. Did you know you can be distracted from prayer by ministry? And a lot of pastors have struggled there. So my mentors in seminary warned us. They said, guys, don't ever substitute your own time with God for sermon preparation for others. And I believe that, and I was already practicing that until my first pastorate. 
And in that first pastorate there in Alabama, I was preaching one message for Sunday morning, all week preparing a second message for Sunday night while preparing a third message for Wednesday night, an unsustainable really um, workload with everything else that that I was doing. And so I remember when I had to make the choice, I thought, you know, these messages are coming, got to be done. I thought, I don't have time for my own time with God. So, So I thought, I'm in the Bible. I mean, it's all good. I love him and I'll just be fed while I study for others. And my mentors were right. Within a month, I was drying up inside. And it's weird, like, how can I be studying the Bible and be drying up? But it's just something about it. So I remember, all right, I'm going to do what I know and what I was told. I went back. I'm going I'm to guard time alone with Jesus for myself, then pivot to study for others. And that's what I've maintained through these years. I was in a conference this week for pastors in our area, and that was really the theme of the conference, taking care of your soul. And this very point, they were exhorting the guys, don't give up your time with the Lord due to the activity of ministry. And so one of the struggles we have is our distracted minds. Another struggle we have to implement a life of fulfilling prayer is undisciplined lives. We have distracted minds, but we also struggle with undisciplined lives. In other words, we fail to prioritize prayer to where it ought to be. We don't exercise self-control here. So again, just another moment about my practice. When I get up in the morning, I get up and I drink coffee. And then I check the headlines on several news apps, sports headlines. I'm just trying to wake up before I then move into this time with the Lord. But can I tell you, almost every day, there is a moment of struggle to move from the news things I'm reading to the word of God. I wish that weren't so, but it's, it's every morning. There's a moment where, because you know, there's always another headline I could look at. You know, there's always another sports headlight that I, I could look at. And so there's that moment. Okay. It's time to go into the word. I have to overcome my lazy flesh every morning. And so what I've learned to do is just go ahead in there. I'm going to get in the word of God. I can't imagine not doing it. I know how dried up I will feel if I don't spend time with him. I need his power. So, but I have to overcome feelings to get into the word. And then here's what I find. Ah, this is it. So glad I pushed through. So my point is this, don't wait on the feeling to then start reading the Bible and praying. Typically that feeling you're looking for is going to come once you get into the presence of God. You may never spend time with the Lord if you wait on this. My flesh now agrees that I should be in the word of God. Expect a battle. It's not just you. You ought always to pray, Jesus said. But then this, another reason why we struggle with prayer is unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. Now, you do know that prayerlessness is a sin for which we need forgiveness, need to repent of that one. But maybe it is that the reason we don't go spend time with the Lord for some people is unconfessed sin. So if you're harboring a sin in your life, you're not repenting of it, you're keeping that in your life, you're not going to want to pray. Because you've probably tried it. You've got this area of your life that's in disobedience. You know it. God knows it. When you come into God's presence, maybe you need help with a job interview. God, I need another job. You help me. When you get into his presence, what do you think God wants to talk about with you? That hidden sin. But now I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about the job I need. No, I won't talk about that. And so what will happen is a person who's not ready to repent of their sin, foolishly, they'll just say, well, I, I just will stop praying. We're almost like Adam and Eve. Remember Adam and Eve, they sinned against God and did the most ridiculous thing. They tried to hide from God. Now we'll forgive them. They didn't have a whole Bible. We have all our theology worked out. We know we have an omnipresent God, an omniscient God. You can't hide from him. We know better, but if you're in sin and you're not repenting and it's keeping you from the presence of God, you can't hide from him. 
In fact, make your struggle with sin something you pray about. This would be a big part of our prayer lives. Lord, I failed again. I bring it to you. Would you please forgive me? Or God, you know I'm in this spiritual battle. This temptation is strong. Would you help me? This is one of the things that will drive you to pray always because we're all in this spiritual battle dealing with sin. Don't try to hide from him. So just some practical things. How do I make praying always constant in prayer? How do I make it a part of my life? First of all, would you schedule it? You schedule other things. Would you schedule it? Use a calendar on paper. Use it on your device. This is the most important. This is the most important meeting I'm going to have every day. I'm going to schedule it. Would you use the alarm features on your phone if you need to? I need an alarm to go off to wake me up and I'm going to meet with God and, and have that reminder, whatever you need to do to build in discipline in this critical area of life. Do you think, well, what do I do once I get into that time with God? Read the word of God. Maybe it's a chapter or two each day. Today, I read Hebrews 12 personally before coming here. And so I'm going to read a chapter and then respond. Respond to what God just showed you in the word. Apply it to your life. Then you rise up from that time and you walk with him. There's a mission for you in God's kingdom and be in constant communication as you walk with him. Live your life in vital union with Christ. One person said it this way. Prayer is fundamentally not a duty but a confession that strength comes from the Lord and that disciples cannot make it on their own, that they need grace every day. Some may, somebody might have been with me up to this point saying, not going to do that. I don't like all that scheduling it because I don't want to be a legalist. Listen, nobody's talking about legalism here. Nobody's talking about that. But you know you're not a legalist. If your motivation for meeting with God consistently is simply this, I need God. This is why I open the Bible and pray daily because I need him. You know, you're not a legalist. If your motivation is this, I am so very weak and I find my strength in him. So I have to be in the word. I have to be in prayer, not because I'm so strong and trying to prove how righteous I am. I need him. Here's, here's why I read the Bible and pray. This is our heart. We're not legalists. If we say, I don't want to be conformed to this world, but I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Jesus said to abide in him. How am I going to do that if I'm neglecting time with him in the word and in prayer? These aren't legalistic moves. This is, this is life. I need him. And then a fourth reason why we struggle with prayer, something we all know we ought to do, is because of discouragement. Discouraged hearts. So we might conclude through praying, you know, I don't, I don't know that God's hearing me. He doesn't seem to be answering me the way I want him to and so we might be discouraged. And that's what Jesus really addresses here in this parable. We ought always to pray. Did you notice the next thing? And not lose heart. If God always answered right on time by our schedule in the exact way we asked, we wouldn't even need that exhortation. But Jesus mercifully knows we're going to be tempted to be discouraged in praying. He's not answering fast enough. He's not, he's not doing, I, I don't understand. And granted, we don't always understand his timing but he's right. He's good. We don't understand why he does what he does. But here's Jesus loving you saying, don't quit. Persist. Stay in there. Let's don't quit in this area of life. Now, a fun example of not quitting this week or within the last couple of weeks was the Kentucky Derby. And you've never heard me give a horse illustration in all my years here. I'm not a horse guy. But I tell you, I watched some of the news stories about this horse, Rich Strike, and uh, fascinating. Anybody know the story? So if you're not familiar, here's a horse that ran in the Kentucky Derby that wasn't even supposed to be in the race. They tell us four horses had to withdraw for, for Rich Strike to get into the race. 
Then when the bell sounded and they go out of the gate, Rich Strike predictably is in the back of the pack. No, it's not even newsworthy. This horse is not even supposed to be in the race. But if you watch it, then you see he starts moving up and it's still not impressive. After a long while, he's just in the middle of the pack, completely boxed in. Nothing good can come from this. But then you keep watching and you just see him steadily moving up, makes his way through traffic and ends up winning the race. They tell us like 80 to one odds that this horse would have won. Very inspiring. I was so inspiring. I said, told my family, you got to see this. Not even a horse. The first time I probably ever asked Joy, come see this horse run. And, uh, but she enjoyed it. It was amazing. And so just the whole family, like this is, this is such an encouraging story. But listen, who would have blamed that trainer and everybody like, hey, look, we're not going to make it into the Kentucky Derby. Let's just, let's just call off the training. But there they were just persisting. And then when the race started, who would have blamed the jockey if he just kind of pulled the horse over to the side? We're in the back. We don't even belong here. And then when they were boxed in in the middle, there's no path forward. Who would have blamed him? Like, no, it's over. But there was that jockey and horse covered in mud by the time they ended the race. First place. It was amazing. Just an encouragement for us. Let's not quit. Here's especially when Jesus says, don't give up on prayer. Though you don't understand how God's answering, you don't understand his timing. Listen, the king of kings is inviting you into his presence and says, stay there in his presence. Don't lose heart in your praying. Do you know that that phrase, don't lose heart, that type of idea is constant in the Bible? Obviously, we need to hear that one. We are prone to discouragement as Christians. Second Thessalonians 3.13, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Second Corinthians 4.1, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Or Galatians 6.9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So life is hard, full of injustices, but we're to keep on praying, keep on trusting, keep praying until he returns. Jesus says, pray always. In fact, if that sounds familiar, we see that throughout the New Testament as well. First Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Or how about this one? First Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And if this topic of persisting in prayer sounds familiar, we saw this just a couple of months ago when we began this series. It was the parable in Luke 11 of the persistent friend. Remember that one? Jesus taught the exact same principle here where the person had a friend arrive at midnight. He didn't have bread, went to a neighbor's house and pestered the neighbor till he got up and gave bread. Same point. Keep on asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Same idea. Be constant in prayer. But then this, be confident in prayer. Be constant in prayer, but be confident in prayer. That's verse seven. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? Why should we be confident in prayer? First reason, because God calls you his elect. That means you're among his chosen ones if you have believed in Jesus Christ. 
So that's a beautiful truth, that idea of election. It's in the Old Testament as well. We look at our God as a God who chooses. It blows our minds. We don't fully understand it, but we see it where we see God chose Israel, did not choose all the other nations. He set his affections on Israel. They were his people. But even down to the individual level, we see occasion after occasion of this, where for instance, we see where God says, Jacob, I loved and Esau, I hated. We think, wow, God is a God who chooses. Then we come to the new covenant and the word eclectos, that word here that we have elect, used 22 times for God's people. And here Jesus speaks of calling his people the elect, the ones he's chosen. He spoke the same way in John 15, 16, where Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And then we think, when did this choosing happen? And over and over again, we see that he did this even before the foundation of the world. Just stunning, stunning realities. Second Timothy 1, 9 who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Wonderfully mind-blowing. Ephesians 1, 4 and following, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Uh, Revelation chapter 13, verse 8 talks this way. Revelation 17, verse 8 talks this way. But here's God's love for you. We're just talking about why should you be confident in prayer? It's because God has chosen you for himself. Before you were even thinking about him, God came for you. Not because you were good. Not because he knew one day you would choose him. God chose you. One writer, Vody Bauckham, said it this way. I'm not a Christian because I was raised one. I wasn't. Nor am I a Christian because I was smart enough to figure it out or good enough to find my way or lucky enough to meet the right people. I'm a Christian because the grace of God found me when I wasn't even looking. I'm a Christian because of God's miraculous intervention in my life. So be confident in your praying and then be confident because God keeps his promise. Did you see the promise here? Verse seven, and will not God give justice to his elect? who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. God promises to deal with you well, to take care of you. So if an unjust judge can respond to persistent appeals and finally do justice, how much more would your loving God who's chosen you for himself, how much more will he be just to you and take care of you? So in this life, we do suffer, but we endure through faith, and even through prayer. And at last, even as he helps us along the way, at last, Jesus will come. And ultimate vindication is coming when everything will be made right in all the world when he comes. So from our vantage point, God, it doesn't seem speedy to me, your vindication. But God says, oh, I'm not slow. Right on time, everything's going right according to the plan. Jesus will come on exact day that I have ordained and he's coming. You and I can be confident. And your prayers matter even in these days. And then this, a question for us. Right now, we've been kind of responding to the question about, does it really matter? Do I pray? I'm discouraged. And he says, don't lose heart. It matters. But then a question for us. Notice it here. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will you be one who's believing in Christ to your last breath or to the return of Christ, will you be one faithful to the very end? Now, Jesus knows the answer. Will there be faith when he comes? There will be. 
because those that he's chosen, they have already believed or they will be believing in this lifetime, responding to the gospel. And they'll be the ones who have endured to the end. That's one of the marks of those he's chosen. They will not fall away. They'll fall sometimes. They'll stumble, but they won't fall away. That's the mark of them. It's the grace of God in their lives. But here's the question. Are you among them? Are you one of those who you believe in him now and you'll be believing until he comes again? That's the move for us. What about you? Listen, these are hard times. Many people will fall away, but it cannot be you and it cannot be me. Second Timothy three, but understand this, that in the last days, there will be, there will be hard times for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's the context in which you and I live, but that's not us. In the face of all that, we're believing now and we'll believe until Jesus comes again. And one of the keys to us holding on by faith is this active life of prayer that we're never in a time where we're not conscious of walking with God. This is one of the means by which we're gonna stay true until the end. We're in prayer, active. So today, would you ask Jesus to save you? This would be your first real prayer. When you recognize your sinfulness and you ask Jesus, Jesus, would you forgive me? You're the one who died for my sins on the cross. You were the one raised from the dead. I see that you're the only one who can save me. I'm trusting you. There's your first prayer. And then you walk a life where you're never really hanging up, where you're staying there in communication with the Lord. And would you affirm then also your faith? Would you tell him, Lord, I know that others will fall away, but it won't be me. Maybe you could say like the writer of that classic hymn, though none go with me, I still will follow. Pray with me.